Stories podcast. Welcome back to the show. I've had a few people surprised at the 30-minute recordings of answers to emails, which to be fair is quite a bit of rambling, or me helping out making travel plans and reservations and things like that. Man, this is what I'm here for. I'm genuinely always here for you guys. That stuff is the least I can do in exchange for you taking the time out of your day to listen and to get in touch. Man, I love it. So on to today. I first spoke to Derek Loudermilk when we both guested on the podcast The Budget-Minded Traveler with Jackie Nurse. And it was then I realized that I'm talking to someone that's seriously interesting with a mind that doesn't accept things for how they are and seems to always seems to be always seeking more from the answers he's given. You know, so Derek has lived on four continents and he values as he calls it traveling slowly, getting to know the culture, you know. He has this magic duality of being both an adventurer and a businessman. And now he seeks to help others that have the elusive dream of becoming location independent. He can be found at DerekLoudermilk.com. And for now, I'm excited to introduce his story and our interview with Derek Loudermilk. The story takes place in the jungles of central Bali. One of my favorite, favorite regions of, of Bali was up in the central highlands. And there's this region called Bedugal. And it's just very primal. And I love to go spend time up there to connect with nature and this story actually is about a surprising connection with nature. And so so the story takes place one afternoon when we were walking with a good friend of mine in the jungles. And we started at the botanical garden and we walked through the botanical garden into the edge and then into the jungle and came across this clearing where there was a giant tree. And it looked like the tree in the movie Avatar, just this massive, huge tree. And it had three trunks that all sort of came together like a giant tripod and then twisted together. Judging by my conversations with locals, uh, about other large trees, this tree was probably 800 to 1,000 years old. So really ancient tree. I had just recently learned that trees have 26 senses. And humans obviously have five plus, if you can see dead people. Trees have, you know, social networks and 26 senses and, and all kinds of amazing capabilities that we don't even really understand. And I walked up to it and I put my hands on the tree, got an electric shock from the tree. Sort of, sort of electro emotional, 
let's call it. And it, it was like really like bizarre. So I, I pulled my hands off the tree because um, I had started sweating profusely in the few seconds that I had touched the tree. I was thinking like, oh, this is a special tree. Maybe I'm just really appreciating the beauty of the whole scene or, or whatever. And I told my friend and she said, and she's she's someone who is is on a spiritual path. She's she's like a spiritual guide for people. And, you know, I trust her judgment on those things because I come from a scientific background where I'm actually sort of skeptical, even though I'd like to be more spiritual. And she said, this tree is trying to tell you something. I said, oh, whatever, you know, you know, it's just a beautiful tree. And I put my hands on the tree again just to sort of appreciate it and feel because it was very smooth. It was, you know, it's nice bark, cool tree in the jungle. And I put my hands on it. And again, the same thing. Flood of emotions started sweating, started crying. I felt giddiness. I felt happiness, sadness, all kinds of kinds of emotions. And my friend said, you know, you definitely, I'm going to, I'm going to leave and I'm going to let you spend 20 minutes here talking to this tree or spending time with this tree. And at that point it was so weird that I said, I'm just going to say yes. And I'm just going to go with the experience and see what happens. I sat down sort of in the base of one of these trunks, like a little like a little home, a little hole in one of these trunks. And I was touching the tree with my hands and I was just sort of letting all these feelings and emotions come. And these messages, these images started to appear for me in my mind. And I was transported from this place in Bali to a forest in China on the edge of the Gobi Desert where the desert is is growing and the, the Gobi Desert is growing massively fast there's a lot of drought in the region and this tree, this Balinese magic tree was trying to show me this other place because it was scared it was somehow knew that this was a an important place in the world that was struggling against drought and climate change and this forest was endangered and and I was like wow that's, that's so crazy like a tree it knows about other trees in other parts of the world and it's like this whole thing and I had these visions and and then I thought well like why why am I getting these visions why am I getting this message from this tree so I asked the tree what 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 are you trying to tell me? Like, what do you want me to do with all this stuff that you're sending me? I got a reprimand. Can you believe that? A reprimand from the tree for forsaking my time in the wilderness, for not spending enough time. The tree was like, I know you grew up spending time in the woods, and you're not doing enough of that anymore and you're losing touch with nature. The tree said, not only do you need to get back into nature more often, 
because that will help you in many ways. But the tree gave me the task of showing people part of their biology, part of who they are as humans by bringing them into nature because because we are biological entities. We are large mammals. And when we forget that, we forget that we're part of the the world, the natural world, planet Earth. And we lose part of our humanity. And so the tree tasked me with bringing people back to the woods to see the human side of themselves again. And it was amazingly powerful. And so I try to, to do a couple things. I've, I've led some retreats for people in the woods, in the jungles in Bali. But I also subversively, like it's an undercurrent in all of my work now that I'm sort of pushing this this idea that nature is going to make you more creative, it's going to make you more confident, it's going to make you understand who you are as a person more so you know what you should be doing with your life. Because I think that will help nature, I think it will help us be better caretakers of planet Earth, of the natural world, and I think it'll give us a lot of benefits personally. And so it just took this this crazy, unique, magical experience with this tree in Bali to remind me of how powerful nature can be. Everybody, this is Cody. I just wanted to let you know about something that we've got in the works here at Backpack Digital. Our first novel by the talented Nicole Mello, our writer. It's about a young woman who has some learning to do, and she thinks travel might be the perfect way to do that. To learn more about it, head on over to backpackdigital.com. But for now, I gotta go. There's a circus in town, and I hear it's intense. Thanks for listening, guys. Back to the show. podcast at the same time uh we only just met in person and and it felt like we were old friends oh yeah oh jackie's the best and that episode that we did it was uh myself and you and jackie on the budget minor traveler that was so much fun man i could have done that episode for a, a good three or four hours more easily easily yeah that's <laughs> that's like a night of you know hanging out with cool people just taking a snippet of that and put onto a podcast essentially <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly we were just talking as well about because it was a um it was like a game show type of thing they, you know they we had all the all the questions that that the listeners would bring in and we had all these questions to choose from we would each answer them and and uh, we were just talking about the the music question that was the one that got us all talking as well and it was so interesting because that's music's like something that everyone can understand and everyone can relate to and it just got us it just got us talking <laughs> yeah I've, i was actually just thinking about that yesterday and and reading about prehistoric instruments you know they found like bone flutes in in caves throughout europe 
and some of them are, you know, 40, 50,000 years old. And, you know, so these would be some of the earliest inventions, like tools for hunting, clothing tools, and then music. I mean, it's like, well, we don't need music necessarily to survive and procreate as a species, but what is it about music that that we're seeing like this is one of the earliest things that people created in in the world uh was was devices to make music with so it's maybe it's hardwired into us to have this like this musical celebration enjoyment of sound i don't know man that's so interesting that's so interesting that you've got the necessities and everything you need for life everything you need to get food everything you need to sleep and everything you need to survive but then they add in the music as well that man that's so interesting like, I wonder what it would be like if you take music away. Imagine a life without that, man. That would be ridiculous. And it's so cool that they found those um, those old instruments as well. The closest I've found to what I would consider weird instruments that I've never seen before was my friend in uh, in Vietnam, a Brazilian guy. He gave me a, um, a Brazilian nose whistle. I'm like, this is the coolest uh, thing I've ever seen. <laughs> How cool is that? My So my dad, he's an interesting guy. He goes on all these float trips with other 50 and 60 year old hombres <laughs> and uh they're always trying to like one up each other in, in different ways and one of the ways is bourbon and another way is with random little toys and one of them found uh it's like it's like a plastic nose flute that you like push up against your nose and then you then you breathe through your mouth and then it goes up into your nose and resonates in your nasal chambers to play it uh, and so he got all these like plastic nose flutes and passed them out on this canoe trip and they were a huge hit. And, and so now it's like his thing. He'll like get people to try a nose flute. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. I love that trying to top each other as well, <laughs> trying to get the better over the other one. Oh, That's awesome. yeah. Another another thing that they did was, uh, well, potato guns, obviously. But then there's the, um, if you take, take like a, a big plastic bag and make some sort of structure on the on the bottom and put candles in it. It has to be super lightweight, obviously. Uh, but then you light the candles and then the bag just flies up into the air like a hot air balloon. But, you, you know, you don't have a string on it, so it just kind of floats away off into the night, which is pretty cool, kind of like the, the lantern festivals that they do in Asia. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> so is it your is it your parents that you get the the kind of, what would you say... I think the word wanderlust might be overused, but the, your, your love for travel, does it come from them at all? Well, I spent a lot of time camping nearby St. Louis growing up with my parents and with the Boy Scouts. And my parents love to camp. And I guess we have, we have very parallel timelines of exploration. You know, I wanted to go to all 50 U.S. states. And before my 30th birthday, I'm 33 now. And I'm and I made it, and they only got to the 50 states like the year before I did, um, and they they're starting to travel internationally more as I'm starting to travel internationally more, and so it's so it's almost like we're on parallel tracks together, but you know they're traveling with each other more than they're traveling with me these days since I have my own family, but yeah it's it's definitely you know a lot of families will get like. Uh, a place a cabin on the lake or in the mountains or something and, and go back to it every summer. And my parents always said, let's just go somewhere new every, every year instead of going to the same place. So 
maybe that's why I want to explore so much. Ah, wicked, wicked. And you've got uh, you got Axel now. How old is Axel? He is three months, much to the delight of the Mexican female population. <laughs> we, <laughs> we just took him down to Mexico. Pretty much every waitress we had there would either, without asking, come and pick him up or just come and pinch his face. Uh, which at first we were like, hey, I don't know where your hands have been. But pretty soon after he didn't get sick, we were like, well, Mexicans are just going to touch babies. So <laughs> just run, just let it go. And, uh, and it was great. And we, you know, we tried to take a photo of, of each person that held him. And we, there was like 20 people that just like swooped him out of the carriage in random places. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I love that he's already traveling at three months old. <laughs> when was the first time you took him out? Actually took him out of the, uh, was he born in St. Louis or? Yeah, he was born in St. Louis, uh, conceived in Bali. And we came back to the States to, to have him. And it was a good thing that we did because there was, it was like the, the actual birth was a near disaster, just seconds away from an emergency operation to, to cut him out. But he was, he was born naturally and it was, it ended up being really cool. Um, but we were lucky to have a top quality medical team, you know, on, on alert there before we went international with him, we were like, Let's see how much he can handle. Like, can we take him for a walk in the woods? Yeah, he's okay with that. Can we take him out to a place where there's large crowds? Yeah, he's okay with that. And it's great because you never know what a kid's going to be like. So, And we just got this really zen, peaceful baby who likes to travel, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just like his dad, man. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. So, like... You've got to think, or I've got to think really, that if someone's traveled from that early and they're kind of being being exposed to all these different places, all these different people, and a ridiculous amount of Mexican women, you've got to think that whether that's <laughs> whether that's like you know conscious or not, and whether they can remember that or not, that's got to that's got to affect someone. I would assume in a really positive way. How do you reckon? How do you reckon that would affect someone? Well. I talked to some friends before uh, Axel was born, like who had military parents and were moving around a lot or, or people that traveled a lot. And it, people are kind of on both sides of the fence. Like some of them are really outgoing and friendly. They can just make friends super easily. And um, they're really close with their family at the same time and love their travel experiences. Other kids uh, other people who, as as children were traveling, sort of missed some connection with their peers because they couldn't have enough time to form bonds at at schools and and stuff like that. So it definitely has me thinking. I kind of want to curate a mix of of him growing up. So sometimes he will have long stints, like five years, without moving, and other times we may be moving every three months. Um, to sort of give him both sides of the barbell, so to speak. Mm, yeah, it sounds like a good idea because I mean, with each with each thing that you thing that you do, there's going to be pros and cons. But I guess doing them both will kind of limit the cons, but still maintain those pros. Is that the kind of way of thinking? Yeah, and I'm sure I'm going to mess him up one way or another, <laughs> and you know, whatever <laughs> you can deal with it when he's 25. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he's going to grow up, and there's just going to be Mexican women around your house, like all the time. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. 
So I found something. I was uh, doing a bit of reading, doing a bit of reading on the Art of Adventure site. Now, I want to come back mm. to the Art of Adventure podcast, but I found something really interesting on the site. Now, you mentioned the idea of transitioning from one phase of life to the next. I guess this kind of goes with having kids as well. But I always think mm. of life as having these definite phases where you're almost, you're like a different version of yourself. You know, what do you think about that? Well, it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Like, if you think about who was I yesterday, well, I'm still that person today. Mm. But who was I 15 years ago? That's that's a different person. And their, you know, their skills and their hopes and dreams and what they were thinking about and what they cared about was was different. And so it's like, weird, that was me, but I'm not that person anymore. And, you know, so so how how we're changing and how we're growing and, and moving through life is really interesting. And does it happen gradually over time or does it happen all in a moment? And I think a lot of times people's lives change in a single moment. They make a decision and it takes their life in a new direction, a new track. And tra traditionally cultures around the world have you know, they have rites of passage from boyhood to manhood, for example, or, um, you know, there's the everywhere ceremonies when people get married. So it delineates different phases of life for people or graduation commencement ceremony or something like that. And psychologically, I think that really helps people with their self-identity. And so they can, they say, okay, a person like this acts in this type of way and here are the values that i'm acting from so now i have this identity that i'm a dad uh, whereas i didn't three months ago or you know four months ago and it's it's kind of cool because dads they are responsible they are strong they're funny they tell bad jokes whatever <laughs> whatever it is about dads you know some of these things i've taken on to my own personal identity and and it's quite empowering, actually, you know, because for me, dads, especially like financially, are quite successful. You know, they are still the main providers of money and safety and protection for their families. And filling that role is kind of cool because I've always just been a son. I've never been a dad myself. And now I'm both. So there's there's a lot to talk about here, but I'll, I'll just I'll just kind of like throw it out there and see what you man it's like it is a lot to talk about and it's i mean if you go into the butterfly effect you know one decision one key decision no matter how small it is can just if it you know if you change that course if you change the compass to go one degree to the left if you got that forward 10 years you're somewhere completely different than you would have been if you hadn't changed it or if it moved two instead of one, you know? It's, man, it's crazy. And it really makes you wonder about if you don't know, like if you don't relate to who you were 15 years ago or you were a different person, then 15 years from now, by law of logic, you will mm. be a different person entirely. And who will you be? There's so many questions that arise from that. <laughs> and what problems are you uh, outsourcing to your future self? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So many times I'm like, damn it, past Hayden, you know? <laughs> but no, it's weird. I think, I think the only thing we can do is, or for me, this is my opinion, that the opportunities that come up 
Well, I'm thinking about this as I'm talking, but I was going to say the opportunities that come up, I think saying yes to the vast majority of them, if not all, can only open those doors for you that can give you all these different paths that you could potentially take. But having said that, saying no to things and closing those doors also gives you yeah. different paths. <laughs> so it's yeah, kind of I was okay. And I was thinking about just that with in regards to travel and business and actually being a productive person who who makes like new creative projects. You know, I've, I've got all these things I want to create. And if I'm off adventuring, like pretty much the only thing that comes from it is good stories and, and photographs, good experiences, but it doesn't doesn't create anything that people want to buy usually. And so my most productive moments are, are when I'm not adventuring, uh, when I'm not socializing, I'm just like at home and at some home base somewhere. It could be anywhere, but it helps if there's less friends. If you have almost no friends somewhere, then you can get a lot done and be really productive and then like go back out on some adventures. And it's almost this dichotomy where if I want to create the things I need in the world or want to put out into the world, I can't be, you know, moving from town to town. I can't be saying yes to all these other things because they detract from the, you know, the the three big things I want to get done this year. So it's, it's an interesting push-pull. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the same position right now. I've been in this country for a while. Just you know, bunkering down and getting, you know, in a utilitarian hovel and just getting stuff done, <laughs> you know, and not talking to anyone. Everyone thinks that I, that I've died many, many months ago. You know, I haven't talked to anyone and that's, that's what you got to do. But this is the same thing. You've got the, the pros of both because you're going out and adventuring, then you're coming down and settling and doing stuff and then you're going out. And it's, don't you find it weird or it's not weird at all. It's fitting actually that you're living the life that you're, giving and prescribing to Axel, like the, the kind of going out and, you know, going and adventuring and then coming back and reaping all the benefits from that. It's the same type of thing. Yeah. And I, and I imagine that, you know, like with any cycle, like you go and you have, you have all these experiences and you learn and you grow and then you sort of, uh, as, as per the hero's journey, like return to your normal life. So you come back home you rest, recover, integrate what you've learned. Uh, maybe you even start to to teach other people about them. And so, I can only imagine like he's out being exposed to all things Mexico in the last month. And like, granted, babies are just learning all the time anyway. But this is probably even more stressful, right? And then he's going to come home back to his normal routine, and maybe his his brain patterns were growing on the road. And I think this, this is for adults too. your, your brain, uh, your ability to link new ideas and, and ways of thinking opens up while you're traveling. And then when you come home, you have time to focus on maybe your, your physical health or, or something else. And your brain like gets, gets a rest and the neurons get a chance to sort of settle into their new positions, if you will. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like when you're on the road, it's hard to, getting, you know, getting those flow states to actually do work and to think about building something profitable or anything like that, because you're at adventuring. It's a different, it's almost like a different side of your brain, even though it's obviously not, it's almost like a different side of your brain. You know, it's a completely different thing that your brain wants to achieve from that, which is, um, yeah, which is really interesting. I like that. And a weird thing is that 
we get well it's not a weird thing but we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of emails about coming back from travel and it's when you've done mm. all the learning and you've done all the you know you've opened your mind and you've taken these chances and you've said yes to all these things and you've experienced all these experiences and then you come back to a place where as we were talking about before you almost don't recognize the person that that was when you were there before because you're a different person now because you've gone through all this personal development. You come back and we tend to fit to our surroundings. So if we're in our childhood home, we might feel a bit different than if we're in, you know, somewhere else. But so when they come back to these familiar surroundings with all these familiar people and all these things where they were a different person, they find it a bit weird and they find that it's hard to hold on to that personal growth and all the things that they've learned on the road and the new person that they've become. Is this something you've experienced? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, anywhere where, um, you know, lots of, lots of people are all talking and thinking about the, the same things and they're influencing each other. And then you come in and you've been thinking about a totally different set of needs, like, finding out where you're going to sleep for the night or, you know, trying to ask for to how to get clean water in a, in a language that you don't know or whatever it is. And then you come home and and people are worried about comparing, (laughs) comparing like how nice their cars are or or comparing, uh, you know, this stuff that you think like, God, this is important to them, but I just don't care at all. Uh, I, I'm thinking specifically of a conversation I heard people leaving the airport last night talking about how great one like parking lot was over another <laughs> parking lot. Like, I love that. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, you just think like surely life can be more exciting, but then, you know, I'm, I'm get as excited as, as the next person about like, uh, I found, you know, bulk granola in the grocery store and it's actually good. And here I am like just a normal domestic life person, even though I claim to be an adventurer and I'm like, yeah, it can happen to anyone. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> Man, I'd be all up in that granola as well. That's bulk granola. Come on. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, love that <laughs> stuff. Come on. <laughs> no, man, you're right. It's... I don't know, you tend to mold your surroundings a little bit. And well, when you've got this, this dichotomy, is that the right word? No, there's a different word. But yeah, when you've got this juxtaposition, that probably isn't the right word either. When you've got this juxtaposition of going out there and being an adventurer and worrying about the water and worrying where you're going to be tomorrow and all this stuff and flying by the seat of your pants and seeing what happens and then coming home and being domesticated, like you said, I don't know. It's like, is it, do you find it difficult to, or do you even try to keep those versions of yourself separate? Like maybe when you're on the road sometimes, does that domestication kind of creep in? Like, I like this hotel room. I could I could put a lamp there, you know? <laughs> or does it creep in when you're back home and you're like, man, I want to go climb some mountains here in St. Louis. I have no idea if there are certain mountains there, but, you know, it's an example. <laughs> well, for sure you get antsy uh, for adventure. And I think that's – I think it's a human – condition it's you know monotony is the worst we can all agree Mm. um some people entertain themselves with tv and netflix and movies and stuff like that uh other other people feel like they have to go experience novelty and i'm one of one of those people you know and i i've also noticed that women sort of bring home with them a little bit more like 
they they have their close network of friends that they remain in contact with and then like maybe they get to a hotel room and they like arrange the furniture in a way that they that's more suitable or they'll like throw some um what's it called like a blanket or a or a sarong over a chair to like make it feel like it's your space they're kind of kind of nesting so i like traveling with with uh heidi for for that reason and in that it like she sort of like creates a physical environment while we're traveling that makes it feel more like home. So then, then you start to get a little bit more of the the best of both worlds. Um, you could even do it like when you're camping, you can like, you know, like hang your stuff up on the tree just so, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I like that, man. It's making your, making your house wherever you are, wherever I lay my hat, that's my home, et cetera. You know? That's really cool, man. I like that. So, the Art of the Adventure podcast, or the Art of Adventure podcast, rather. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love it. I love, even from the title, I knew I was going to love it. The Art of Adventure. It's like, adventure is, is. I mean, there's different types of travel. You know, people go, I mean, there's business travel, but we don't talk about that. But there's, there's different types of travel. There's adventure, obviously. And then there's the backpacking, which I guess can kind of go in the adventure. But adventure is always this one, which, I don't know, the adventurers have the best stories, man. That's what I find. That's what I find. <laughs> well, it, what, it's really funny. Like since I got this brand, it's it's forced me to be more adventurous. First of all, to live up to the brand, and it's also become an excuse for people to peer pressure me into trying things that I am <laughs> afraid of. Of course. So, like, I was mountain biking with a friend on this volcano in New Zealand, and the trail had like a big, you know, like eight foot drop that I was supposed to ride off, and he was like well, you're an adventurer, just do it. And I was like, God, this is potentially hospitalizing. Uh, but I just did it and it, it worked. And I was, you know, crapping myself before I did it, but it, it all worked out. But essentially, you know, people are going to push me to do more and more dangerous things. <laughs> I fear and say, it's adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. But I think that's, that's got to be a good thing there, right? That's got to be a good thing. Apart from, you know, potentially hospitalizing yourself on a bike but but that's got to be a good thing open yourself uh, opening yourself up to these new opportunities and stuff like that right yeah i think i think definitely if i were to say what is an adventurer's mindset when you meet an adventurer they believe that anything is possible and that everything is going to be awesome and those are the type of people that i want to spend time with but also that i would invest in you know if an adventurer is like i'm gonna try this new i'm gonna take people to mars or whatever (laughs) on like weekend holidays and you'd be like yeah it sounds great let's do it yeah yeah it's all about the new ideas and stuff isn't it it's thinking outside of the mundane outside of the box and kind of imagining things and then making them so you know making them happen i i love that too i love that too it takes takes a bit of a special type of person to do that i think i'd consider you one of those people as well i mean you're location independent right now right yeah yeah i have been for about four years oh nice and yeah learning learning the whole time for sure um and and one thing that i've been thinking recently like you know in business they always say like solve solve the problems that you want to get solved or build the thing that you want to buy and I've, and I've been really thinking about everything that we have 
is is all just made up like you know the the coolest businesses you can think of apple or you know virgin or or, or whatever like someone just was like i'm just gonna try this because i think people like it and they did <laughs> and but it's it's all made up like nothing is impossible actually everything came from from just trying it and so yeah, it's that idea in that first step. It's like, I mean, Richard Branson was just a dude that had an idea and took the first step. I mean, what is it? That journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, you know? He must have taken that first step when Virgin was just nothing, completely nothing. And now, and now look at it. So, yeah, you're absolutely and right. You won't know all the steps between the first step and the last step. You might sort of have an understanding of what the last step looks like. Say you're summoning Everest, you know, like, okay, you're going to walk up and then take a bunch of selfies on top of Everest. Uh, and you know that you're going to take the first steps out of base camp and you can probably like guess what the first, you know, 50 steps will look like, but the, all the steps in between, like they're not yet illuminated to you. And you just have to trust that you're, you'll be able to take them when you get there. Absolutely. And you really, really don't foresee the the bear hiding behind the tree. You don't foresee the massive drop. You don't foresee anything. <laughs> but these things are all on the way up, you know. <laughs> it's really interesting. And location independence is one of those things where, I mean, obviously, one of the biggest questions in travel is, I mean, with anyone in the travel space has to be, how can you afford to travel? I mean, everyone asks everyone that all the time. That is a gross over over statement but it's true and so yeah. location independence is is kind of an answer to this question it's if you have this location independence that gives you the location freedom because if what we're striving for as entrepreneurs and and people with with the want for this location independence if what we're striving for is financial freedom time freedom and location freedom then surely location independence ticks at least one of those boxes, hopefully two, ideally all three, wouldn't you say? I think it's tempting for a lot of people to try to tie location independence in with their business and like make location independence their business. Like I'm a travel Instagrammer or a travel blogger or, or, or whatever. And so you can approach it that way, which I see a lot of people start by by trying to do. And then, you know, a lot of travel blogs sort of fizzle out or people take a, a round the world trip and they write about it and then they get home and um, it's not like that's their business. And so I think it's it's perhaps a better approach to think about your own set of unique skills and, and talents and craft a location independent business around an offering that people are going to buy whether you're based in a permanent location or moving around um so that you know like that's just a thing that you have it's just a perk of your business is that you can run it from your laptop from a beach but the end result is that people are getting the product or service from you the quality that you're giving them the same as if you were based in an office somewhere. Um, yeah, so yeah. thinking about, you know, it's the end result, like the customer is going to buy things that they want or need. The only thing business is, is selling something that people want to buy. You can't go anywhere without that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's that thought of, of the, 
of the location-independent business, there's a thought that it's something different to a location-dependent business. But it's not. The only difference is that your office is where you want it to be, you know, wherever you, it's on your laptop or you have no need for an office. And that only came about because of the things we have now, the internet, etc. And so it's that thing of people thinking that there is a giant difference between the two. But as you say, it's just utilizing your skills to make something or to do something or to offer a service or anything like this that someone is willing to pay you for. And that's all it is. Just but you don't have an office. That's the only, that's the only difference. <laughs> and I think for, for a lot of people, it's, it's kind of confusing. I mean, it's a relatively new thing, you know, in the grand scheme of things. It's, I mean, if anyone's read any Tim Ferriss or anything like that, it's, I mean, when was that? 2007, Tim Ferriss? And that was kind of maybe a decade when, ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. Crazy. And that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of maybe where, where a lot of people found out about it. Myself, for sure. That's where I found out about it. So is there anywhere that you would recommend people go to learn about location independence? Maybe if something we're saying, maybe if they're thinking, I've got a unique set of skills, you know, I'm that guy from that movie. I have a unique set of skills on the phone. Where can they, <laughs> where can they read about this? Where can they watch about this? Where can they go? First of all, the, inf- the internet is full of all the information you could ever want. So, so much so that everyone is getting overloaded with information. So, you need actually, I would advise people to pick someone to help educate them. And it can be, it could be like an expert or a coach or take a course or, or whatever. But the difference between education and information is that education is a process, is a transformative process where you are able to put the information into use. And like many other people um, that are available, I specifically coach people that want to start location independent businesses so that they can have the time freedom, the location freedom, you know, to see cool things, meet cool people, hang out with their kid in my case. And, but, but specifically people that are doing information based businesses. So, so courses and podcasts and stuff, because that's, I think it's really cool to be influenced by your travels, by your location independence and, and it changes your thinking just enough so that you become a really interesting teacher. Um, so, so people that are doing information-based things or service-based things. So, you know, freelancers, graphic designers, um, podcast editors, that, that type of thing. Um, so if this is something that you are interested in, I do offer free 30-minute strategy sessions where you can actually get on the phone with me. And, you know, for listeners of, of my show or Hayden, your show, uh, and we can, we can work on, you know, specific one specific goal or finding the next step out of those thousand steps to get you to where you want to be location independent wise. And so I'll just offer if, if anyone listening to this show wants to jump on a call with me, just send me an email. It's probably the easiest way. Derek at Derek and then I then I would send you a follow up with a link to my personal calendar and all the information that you need from there. So yeah, just send me an email. That's probably the easiest thing. Uh, but it's really fun. I love I love talking to people about what they want to create in the world because most people that want a location independent business want to do fulfilling work, and they want to be helping people. They want to be moving the needle on something that's important to them. 
and and so it's really inspiring as well to see you know it's not it's not usual that people say like i just want a business that's just going to make me some money usually it's like i want a business that's going to make me money and help people or make something cool and get it into the world or or, or whatever it's going to be so it's it's like making money while making something awesome Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, it's the perfect mix. And you do find a lot of people that, that are into location independence and it's, it's kind of an outside thinking at the moment. It's kind of against the mainstream in a way. Well, at the moment, I mean, look in 10 years and I can I, I imagine most people will be location independent. That's kind of where I can, or maybe not 10 years, but that's kind of where I can see it going. But at the moment, it's kind of against the grain. And I think with people that are against the grain, they do have those thoughts of, I just, I don't want to just make something to sell that's not helping anyone i want to do some good in the world i want to make something i want to create something so man i love that and it's so cool of you to to be reachable like that and to have that what is it a 30 minute call did you say yeah it used to be an hour but uh, all you have time for is 30 minutes these days but we can make big i'm actually getting more efficient at it too so uh we can make a lot of progress in 30 minutes (laughs) nice nice so we'll put the email address in the show notes man Thanks so much for coming on. Is there anything, right? Is there any little pearl of wisdom or anything like that that you would like to leave our listeners with? I know I'm putting you on the spot and I kind of like that. I'm just going to reiterate what we talked about in that everything is made up and even laws, right? If these if you if you like to follow rules, remember, laws were just made up by some people and uh, you know, only the rules of physics are the unbreakable ones. So you can you can make anything up that you want. You can you can try it. Anything can happen. Anything can work out for you. Love it, love it. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show, dude. A lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Hayden, real pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries. Stay inspired by subscribing to Travel Stories podcast.